So, Lord, our prayer this morning is, as we open your word, refresh our hearts again. Point us again to you, Lord Jesus. Take us off our own. Being able to look after ourselves. Our own independence. Make us more dependent on you, we pray. And make us forever grateful for you. So thank you for your words. Thank you for the guidance it gives us. Help us now to place ourselves under the authority of your word. And to hear what you, the living God, says through your word. Use these words through a man. But Lord, may it be your spirit speaking to our hearts, we pray. I ask this in your precious name. Amen. So if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, we are in um, Hebrews chapter 7. And we're continuing our studies through this great book. If you're expecting a bit of gospel light this morning, I'm afraid uh, it's the wrong Sunday. Um, This is real meat. Scripture speaks about milk and meat. This is meat. We're in the core of the book of Hebrews chapter 7. It's a fairly complicated passage we're looking at today, but I'm sure you can track with me. You're getting professional now at this. So um, we really need to ask the Lord to help us just to see what he's saying to us. So we're going to be reading Hebrews chapter 7, and we'll be reading from verse 11 through to verse uh, to the end of the chapter. So Hebrews chapter 11, uh, 7 verse 11. Sorry. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever of Melchizedek. On the other hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the Lord made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. There's our main verse. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, capital H, holds his priesthood permanently 
because he continues forever. Consequently, the so what of the passage. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son, a son sorry, who has been made perfect forever. Well, having read that, you'd think, what? Let's see what the Lord does. What's your purpose in life? Maybe it's a bit like my friend Edgar over here on the cartoon. See? He has also found his purpose in life. He found it somewhere in the couch. What is the main thing that you are aiming at with your whole life? You see, if you don't know, you'll aim at something that looks like his purpose. But when you know what your purpose is, the whole of life takes meaning. And the passage we're looking at this morning speaks about why we have a purpose in life and what that purpose is. See, why did God create human beings? Anyone know the answer? Why did He create human beings? So that He would be glorified and so that they could enjoy His presence. And that's why in Genesis we read phrases like, when God saw everything that He had made, He said, it is good. He was glorified in that. And then we read another interesting verse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and it was a time when he and Adam and Eve walked together. Imagine that, walking with God and talking in, the, in this beautiful garden. Why did he do that? So that they could enjoy him. He was glorified, and he's therefore our enjoyment too. So what is our chief purpose? Westminster Shorter Catechism says this. Chief purpose or our, the chief end of man is this. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's why we exist. There's our purpose. Much better than Edgar's one. Now I'm going to summarize this passage we're looking at from verse 11 to 25 with these words. Man sinned. And so they could no longer glorify God. And they lost the enjoyment of God. Why? Because of this void in relationship that is created between sinful man and a holy God. You get that? They lost their purpose in sin. And so what did God do? God gave them a, His law to show the perfection He needed for men to be in a right relationship with Him. He's a holy God. We are sinful creatures. God put His standard of holiness up again. And so He gave His law through Moses, the Ten Commandments later in history. And with this, God instituted the priesthood 
who were the priests. They were Levites from the tribe of Levi, just men. The qualification was if you're from the tribe of Levi, you can be a priest. There was no other qualification. It was a physical qualification. And he appointed these men under the order of Aaron, who was the first priest or high priest, to offer sacrifices for sin. What was sin? Breaches of the law of God. That's sin. And they had to do so on behalf of the people. And in so doing, these priests became the mediators, the go-betweens between sinful men and a holy God. So that there could be a kind of relationship again. I use that very deliberately. But the problem was that people kept on sinning. And they brought imperfect sacrifices and tried to offer those before the Lord. And these priests themselves were imperfect men. They were sinful. And so they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins. And that wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem is these priests kept on dying. And then new priests had to be appointed. You see, it's not a good picture. So God instituted a better way. He brought in a perfect and an eternal priest with a capital P. Jesus Christ, the Savior. One who would offer a perfect sacrifice, ending the need for all this constant further sacrificing. One who would live a perfect life, who wasn't imperfect, who didn't need to offer up sacrifices for himself. And one who would live forever. He didn't die and stay dead. And to do that, the law, limiting the appointment of priests to those in the tribe of Levi, would need to be changed. Because this priest with a capital P would come from the kingly line of not Levi, but of Judah. And Moses said nothing about appointing priests from Judah. So the law had to be changed. And who changed it? Not the people. God changed it. And so, Jesus, coming from the line of Judah and the specially appointed priestly line of Melchizedek, who came before him, was appointed. God established his new law, or we call it the new covenant. All right, so that's kind of summarizing what this chapter has said. Now we can relax and look at it, I think. The key verse here is this one. This priest who God appointed, verse 15, was another priest arising according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, we look at that word another, and it could just mean another priest. The Greek has two words for another. The one is the word alos, which means an additional one of the same kind. So, you could read that another priest of the same kind would arise according to the order of Melchizedek. But that's not the word used here. Because there's a second word for another used in the Greek, and it's the one used here. It's the word heteros, which means an additional one of another kind. So the one who was appointed here was not just a normal priest again. He was of another kind, of the order of Melchizedek, a specific line of priests appointed by God to serve his people. He was, in other words, a unique priest under the new covenant. 
So why was Jesus unique? Why was Christ unique? Why is Christ unique? You see, if you can answer this question, it will give you your purpose in life. Why is Christ unique? It was a very important question to the Jews in the first century who this book is written to. And it's just as relevant a question to you and I in the 21st century in New Zealand. Why should I follow Christ alone? Why? Well, let's see what Scripture says. Verse 11 to 17. Firstly, Scripture says in this passage to us, we should follow Christ alone because He has an indestructible life. Death could not destroy Him as the other priests were destroyed. Why was another priesthood in the order of Melchizedek necessary? Why did God not just continue to use the normal priests through the tribe of Levi after the order of Aaron? Because their ministry was ineffectively, it was ineffective spiritually. How do we know that? Because when they forgave people's sin, when they, offer, when they offered sacrifices for people's sin, they couldn't actually forgive sin. They could only symbolically forgive sin. They were sacrificing before God, and symbolically before God, that sin was taken away. We know now, having the full length of Scripture, that that sin was taken away in completion later when the Lamb of God appeared, right? But at that time, their sin was taken away symbolically. And so, in a way, these, this, their, the priest's ministry was ineffective spiritually. There was no real forgiveness happening then. And it was flawed because the priests themselves were imperfect. They had to sacrifice for their own sins, we saw. And so a change had to be made. God couldn't just continue to use priests. He had to change the law to bring in a new priest. The tribe of Levi. You see, this, this thing about Jesus not being a Levite could have been a massive stumbling block. And it was a stumbling block to many Jews. Because by order of Moses, Moses didn't say anything about priests from Judah. And this Jesus, who is he? He's from, Judah. He's, he's from Judah. He's not even from Levi. And so logically, it was impossible for these Jewish Christians to remain Christian if they just used logic. Because he wasn't even from Levi. He's from Judah. Why should we follow him? But you see, God appointed this Jesus not based on legal requirements determined by physical genealogy, but rather based on an endless genealogy, the power of an indestructible life. Priests from Levi were appointed, they served, and they died. But this priest would serve as a priest forever because of the power he had over death. He was unique. And this priest, his life and service could not be destroyed by death. What proof do we have that this would be so? God himself said so. He swore an oath. If you look at verse 17, he says, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 21, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. What? You are a priest forever. God swore an oath by himself. Jesus is unique because of his indestructible life. Secondly, we see that Jesus is a guarantor of a better covenant, and that is why he's unique. 
He doesn't just make a promise. He keeps that promise on our behalf. And He makes sure that promise is kept. He's the guarantor of a better covenant. We've got three key words in this passage from verse 18 to 22. And you need to really follow with me in Scripture because I can't keep reading those verses. So follow with me. The first key word is this, perfection. Like you and I, right? Perfection is the condition in which man is acceptable to a holy God. You and I want to be acceptable to a holy God. We need to be perfect. You see, the old covenant law was given to show that the standard required by God for men to draw near to Him and have relationship was based on them being in a certain way, keeping the Ten Commandments, rule-keeping. And so the author to Hebrews says, that very fact is a weakness of the law. And he uses that word there. Look at verse 18. On the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. The weakness of the law was that it could not give life. The law's function was not to give life and strength, but to show weakness. When you compared your life to the Ten Commandments, it was supposed to show you you can't do it. It was supposed to show you your human weakness. That's the intent of the law. To show how sinful we are and how holy God is. And so in a way, it was useless to try and keep it all. Because all you could do then was when you broke the, sin, the, the law, you had to bring a sacrifice. And that sacrifice itself was also inadequate. And so you, you come with an inadequate person sacrificing an inadequate sacrifice through an inadequate priest. There's not much hope there, is there? Before a holy God. And therefore, this old covenant law based on the human priest's intervention had to be, here's the word, set aside. It had to be, in modern day English, it had to be annulled. If you've done anything with contracts before, I'm not going to ask our lawyer here, but it's to be set aside. It's no longer of use. Now, it was set aside in favor of a better law, the new covenant. Immediately the question means then, so does that mean we can ignore the Ten Commandments? I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments anymore. They've been set aside. No. Sorry. You see, God's standards for holiness haven't changed. He still holds His law up against our lives. It hasn't changed. But the system has changed. Instead of us keeping the law, someone else now keeps the law in our place. The system has changed. Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 17, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses. There it is, not just me. All the writings of the prophets, no. I came to accomplish their what? Their purpose. You see, the whole paraphernalia of the sacrificial system, the whole ceremonial system, is replaced by something much better. We get the upgrade. We don't have to sacrifice. 
daily. You didn't come today with a lamb in tow, so we had to harakiri it. You didn't come with pigeons. You didn't come with cattle beasts. There was no sacrifice of blood here. Why? Because we are under the upgrade of the new covenant, the new system which has been put in which has been put in place by God. Instead of us now trying to keep God's standards and constantly failing, which we do, Christ keeps God's law perfectly in our place. And there's not even one amen. Come on, Baptists! Man, you're a hard bunch. Here's another law. Here's another key word, you see, because it comes from this. Those ringing amens. The new covenant hope we now have. There's our new keyword. Verse 19. There's a better way. There's a better means to draw near to God. To have that relationship with God. You see, by means of this hope in Christ, mankind can now get into, a, into the direct presence of God. Why? Because there's, this hope is based on a perfect Christ who stands before God, who died in my place, who paid for my sin. When that temple curtain was torn in two, we could come into the very presence, into the very throne room of God. And then Christ rose from the dead, and He is Himself now in the very presence of God. And as we saw last time in this passage, He takes us there with Him. He is our forerunner. Amen? Man, it's getting there. Come on. Here's the third key word for you. Verse 20. An oath. How do we know all this is going to happen? God swore an oath. Not just that. God put an oath in place. He didn't just say something. He did something and he put something in place. You see, the Levitical priests were appointed based solely on their genealogy. I was quite surprised to read that actually. I thought they might go through a bit of a spiritual discernment process. But no, if you were from the tribe of Levi, you could be a priest. And that's why we get good and bad priests. Just look at the sons of, quite a few, sons of Eli. They were appointed because they were from the tribe of Levi. But you see, when this high priest was appointed by God, God swore an unchanging oath by himself that this high priest would personally be the guarantor of this new agreement, this new law, this covenant of hope. And this guarantor would have, he, he would guarantee in two directions. You need to understand this. He guarantees to men that God will fulfill his covenant promises of forgiveness. Christ guarantees that. Why? He died. He rose. He's in God's presence. But he also guarantees in God's way He's saying, God, the people I'm bringing before you are now acceptable because of what I have done. Do you see that? It's a guarantee in two ways. And so as this perfect representative of man, Jesus becomes our surety of a covenant of hope. We have double surety. We've got God's unchangeable oath and we've got a perfect son who is our guarantee. Yes? Amen. Thank you. And because of that, there's now a so what. You're still tracking with me? Verse 23 to 25. 
This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, so what? He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Wow. Thank you, Sue. He lives forever. And because of the foregoing we've said, he's unique because he's indestructible. He's the guarantor of a better covenant. Therefore, he stands before God making intercession for us. He holds his priesthood permanently because he lives forever. He's the permanent priest who stands before God in our place. His priesthood is untransferable. You can't take it away from Jesus Christ and give it to someone else. He is the great high priest. Untransferable. As opposed to the many high priests in Aaron's line. I, uh, Josephus is an interesting historian. In one of his writings, he, he writes that from the time of Aaron to the destruction of the temple in AD 70, there were 83 high priests. Now there is one high priest forevermore. There will not be another name added to that list because of Christ. And when these priests, in, in, when his 83 high priests died, the office of priest continued, but not the person. They had to appoint someone else in that office. But when Jesus died, his priesthood didn't end. The office continued, and his life continued because he rose again from the dead. And so he continues forever as high priest for you and I. He is set apart from all other high priests. His priesthood continues forever, and he makes intercession for us. And therefore, he's willing and able to save to the uttermost. You see, it all works together. The one thing on the other builds up to this. This is the fantastic so what of this passage. He is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Save to the uttermost. The literal translation is, he is to be saving. Take note of the continuous tense. He is to be saving completely and forever. There's a literal translation of the Greek. Continuous ability. As long as this high priest lives, he is able to save. As long as this high priest lives, he is willing to save. He is able to save. speaks about his ability. Who is he? His almighty God. Can he save? Of course he can save. What can stop him? Is he willing to save? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish his purposes. Who's going to stop him? He's very willing to save. So tell me, my friend, what stops you from coming and being saved by Almighty Jesus Christ? What big sin have you committed that he can't forgive? What keeps you from bowing the knee? Christ will and is able to save. But the passage carries on, you see. It's not just all good because of that. The passage carries on. It says those who come to God through him. He can save and is willing to save those who come to God through him. It's not a blanket statement there. It's not anyone. It's anyone who comes to God through him. You see, there's a reciprocal connection here between 
Jesus' ability to save, and man's willingness to come. Now, I'm not talking about election, Romans chapter 9, all right? You go and study that on your own. There's a big picture behind what I'm saying here, and we haven't got time here now for that. Romans chapter 9, who God saves, election. Go and look at it. It's good afternoon reading, but have your nap first. You need to be fresh for that passage. You see, there's a a two-way street here. Jesus is able to save, but he will save those who come to him. So it's not going to be all good. If you don't come to him, you're not going to automatically be saved one day. It's not going to turn out all right. You've got to come to him. You've got to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and acknowledge he's almighty God. I am a sinner. If you don't do that, you will not be saved. He is willing and able to save those who come to God. And it has to be, here's the other condition, it has to be through Him. Acts 4 verse 12 says this, There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You can't get to heaven by any other religion or any other person except Jesus Christ. I'll repeat that. There is no other way to God except to come through Jesus Christ. No other religion. That's not PC. No other way to come to God. You can't be a good Kiwi and come to God. You've got to come to God through Jesus Christ. One way only. And then He's willing and able to save. But the verse is not finished. It still carries on. It says, And he always lives to make intercession for who? For them, those he has saved. God's not going to make, Jesus not going to make intercession for someone who hasn't bowed the knee to him. Why should he? They stand under his judgment. But he does make intercession for all those he has willed and saved. He will make intercession for them. He will come before God. He will intercede as high priest before God. And then he doesn't just intercede before God. He answers the intercession as almighty God. That's amazing. You see, every time we sin, Jesus says to the Father, God, you've seen what they've done. Put that to my account. My sacrifice has already paid for it. And here I stand in their place. He doesn't just intercede, he also acts. And that is why we can then come into the very presence of God with Christ because he intercedes for us. The 24 says this, Therefore, we can stand in the presence of God's glory, how? Blameless and with great joy. There's my purpose again. I can come and stand in the very presence of God and give Him glory. But I don't just give Him glory. I come there with great joy. I can enjoy God. Back to where we started. It's amazing, isn't it? And what's the implication of this? And we won't do this now. We're going to do this next week around the communion table, which I'm really looking forward to because we haven't been able to do this for a while. Here's the implications. Verse 26. 
For if it was indeed fitting, in light of everything that was said, that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's the God I serve. The one who is willing and able, and who has saved. So what do we do with this? Two very short, so what? One question to you would be, in light of everything you've heard this morning about who Jesus is, His indestructible life, the guarantor of a better um, covenant, the one who makes intercession for us constantly, why would you settle for anyone or anything else? That was the question to the Jewish believers. Why would you go back to an old system? doesn't make sense. You've got the upgrade. And therefore, set your hope on Jesus Christ. He's a superior high priest. Death couldn't destroy him. He's your guarantor of hope. He intercedes for you without ceasing. He's the one who is perfectly able and willing to save to the uttermost. Why would you have anyone or anything else in life? And secondly, if we understand these things, then our purpose is restored as human beings. We no longer have this little nemesis of a guarantee of where we're heading in life. It's through Christ we once again fulfill our greatest purpose. What is that? The purpose we were created for as human beings. Is that, that through Christ, once again, we can glorify God. And enjoy His presence. What a great book is Hebrews. Let's pray. Lord our God. From the time when Adam sinned. And we all came under the curse of sin. You have made a way whereby we could come back into your presence and enjoy walking with you in the cool of the day. Thank you for the upgrade. Lord, thank you for doing away with the old system which pointed out inadequacy. And bringing in the new system which points to adequacy and supremacy and completion and fulfillment and perfection. Jesus Christ, the one who keeps your laws perfectly on our behalf. The one who paid for our inadequacies by dying for our sin once and for all. So that we can be restored in relationship to you. Sinful people to a holy God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can enjoy you and your presence. Lord, forgive us for running around in this world every single week. And forgetting what our true purpose is. Having in front of our eyes other purposes. Restore back to us again our true purpose, Lord, of putting you at front and center of our lives 
so that our lives will glorify you in every single thing we do. But not just that, we would also enjoy your presence. We are too rushed for your presence. Lord, save us from our gadgets. Save us from our rushed timetables so that we can once again enjoy your presence. Give us time with you every day. Help us to make that a priority so that the rest of our lives will make sense for you. Thank you for your word. Help us now in our weakness in this week, we pray. For your name and your sake. Amen. Let's end our service with a prayer. And I want to pray from God's word. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. It's the Apostle Paul. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 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 Let's have a cup of tea.